Attention, passengers of SS Six Degrees of Cats, your favorite cat-themed culture, history, and science podcast. This is your captain speaking, Captain Kitty, aka Amanda B, and crew. On our last trip, we uncovered the many connections between cats and humans through stories about saints, optical physics, and even Norse mythology. This season, we set sail for distant lands such as Japan. Iceland and Canada. Join us in meeting rockin' musicians. My name is Melina Moy. Religious scholars. I am Dr. Megan Goodwin. Food historians. My name is Sarah Loman. And cat experts. Hey, I'm Jackson Galaxy. Everybody. Along the way, we'll explore the intriguing link between whiskers and whiskey, and which musical instruments truly have a feline connection. Hoist the anchor for our season premiere on Halloween. The perfect time to subscribe to Six Degrees of Cats. All aboard! If you've been keeping an eye on things this year, you've probably heard the term AI come up once or twice. Specifically, artificial intelligence. Though there's also that commercial with Allen Iverson featured in it, who will always be the original AI to this basketball fan. Of course, because there are crummy people in the world, we're sometimes hit with stories about AI being used in downright evil ways, like stealing jobs or impersonating voices to extort money from people over the phone. While that's certainly a concern, and frankly, it might always be a concern, there are plenty of people out there using AI for good. One of those guys is Gabriel Cowan, the founder of Audio Design Desk. The company uses AI to help make sound design easier, faster, and more efficient when creating movies or other content. Since video ain't going away anytime soon, and video without sound doesn't deliver anywhere near the same impact, this is a massively helpful thing. Gabriel is also doing some fascinating stuff in the education space, so we're diving into that too. We're talking about ways to improve your sound even beyond AI, the challenges with software design, and how Gabe turned a potentially disastrous live music gig around to win over the crowd. Love hearing those redemption stories. I'm Joey Held, this is Good People Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Gabriel Cowan. Can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, and then also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Wow. Um, okay. So I'm not that familiar with the different types of elevators. My name's Gabriel <laughs> Cowan. I'm the CEO and founder of Audio Design Desk. We make it easy to create all the sounds for your videos. So whether you need to create original music or build all of the ambiences and footsteps and soundscapes for your short film or your feature film, Audio Design Desk has been doing that for the last couple of years. We're used on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO Max. We're just used on Stranger Things, Mission Impossible, uh, Transformers. And um, it's an incredible time in AI. I think we may be riding on a virtual elevator. I like it. I like it. Virtual elevator with good sound. <laughs> Virtualelevator.com. It's <laughs> a new business. <laughs> Excellent. We'll grab the domain name right after this. Yeah. So you, you have a background in music and audio, but where did this idea come from? Good question. Yeah, I started as a musician and got really lucky, signed out of high school, a couple platinum albums, got hired to score a film. And through that process, it was by a guy named Roger Corman, 
um, who's this guy that's produced like 400 movies. And unlike the studio system, Rogers movies are very indie. So you get access to, you know, even as the music composer, I was like also on set and helping with rewrites and like in the edit bay. And I just fell in love with it. So I went back to school. I got my master's degree in film directing and I've produced over 20 feature films. And very early in that process of making movies, you realize how time-consuming, manual, frustrating, and how important the sound to your movie is for levels of immersion for the audience. Um, And so about seven years ago now, six and a half, seven years ago, I was cutting a trailer to one of our movies and I was trying to find the rise that went to the title at the end of the trailer. Yep, title. And I'm out on the desktop searching for it because it takes too long in Pro Tools. You got to double click on Pro Tools. You could single click out on the desktop. I listen to them bringing things in. I'm, I'm trimming them up. I'm moving them to the right spot. I'm untrimming them. I'm listening. It's not the right thing. And I just had enough. I was like, this is not how this should be. Our sounds should know where they're supposed to go. They should know their relationships to one another. And I stayed up all night. I'm always surrounded by whiteboards. And I started writing a schematic for something that I called Sonic Intelligence. Um, And by coincidence, a high school friend of mine, a guy named Sam Music, his real last name, Amazing. who had a company called totally had a company called Elephant Sound. And he was um, mastering his work through uh through some of my machinery and so he came over the next day and he said what's that schematic i said that's how i'm solving sound for film well sam was about to release ten thousand sounds through his deal at warner chapel and he said gabe i love this idea what if we used my sounds so then i was like oh okay i got a schematic i've got a concept i've got the sounds my college roommate who's a terrific guitar player musician sort of a famous cyclist, but also an incredible programmer. He had worked at the early stages of Apple TV and YouTube and these kinds of things. And so I I took a picture of the schematic and I sent it to him along with a text about what I wanted to do. And he said, that could be interesting. And then I didn't hear from him for about three weeks. And three weeks later, he sent us a proof of concept. Like, is it with this kind of, he just did it. And we were like, oh my God, like that's exactly what we need. So it was a bit, you know, that was six and a half years ago. So we've built quite a lot of things since then. But that was the genesis of the idea and the formation of the company. That's pretty wild and a good uh, proof point, I guess, to having a, a solid network of people, too, because you're just like, hey, this is your expertise. This is mine. That's yours. Let's all do it. Let's all do it. Yeah. <laughs> this is more of a, a weird, quirky question, but do you have a favorite sound effect? Oh, gosh. Uh, do I have a favorite sound effect? Well, so, you know, one thing that's interesting, and I think lay people don't know this, but like there's a there's an area of sound that we call sound design inside of our system, which is different than sound effects, which are like, you know, a table or a door slamming or even ambiences like the wind or, you know, room tone. And it's different than music. But if you watch trailers, if you watch any movie these days, they are largely scored like the the feeling is created from this stuff we call sound design. And so you're asking about my favorite sound. So I'm, I'm leading there. And so we've uh, we've sort of broken those sounds into seven different categories. And amongst those are things like pulses or drones or textural tones. So I'd say for me. I really like those kinds of sounds, pulses, drones, textural, so things that kind of bring you into a moment uh, and set the, especially when they're against visuals, 
they'll set the feeling for the whole scene. And I think it's easy for audiences to overlook that that's why they feel the way they do in the scene. They're just experiencing it. But if you take that stuff out, suddenly it's a student film. You know, you're like, wait, what's wrong with this thing? It's like the uh, the old, um, what is it? The Dancing in the Streets video with Mick Jagger and David Bowie mm-hmm. uh, without the music where it's just like, it's them like grunching and stuff while they're jumping. I, I think it's someone overdubbing it. I don't think it's the actual audio, but it's That's one hysterical. of my favorite things. It's I so have good. to watch that. I'm going to YouTube. I'm going to search that up the minute we get off. That's it's genius. so good. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> so you you mentioned how you've you've done over 20 films and have obviously learned uh, along the way of of how to i'd say probably the entire movie making process but particularly with the sound so i like i always find this fascinating i'm not on movie sets very often i've probably stumbled into one or two over the years but what what does the process look like of like do you go in when you start filming where you're like, I know exactly what I want this to sound? Or is it often kind of you'll discover something while you're there that you then incorporate after the fact or, or a mix of both? It's definitely a mix of both. And I think different filmmakers are different. Um, my particular company that we started. So my, I, I met a guy in school. We made a lot of movies together. And then we started a company and our mission was to help first time filmmakers make their movies. So those first time filmmakers typically are just like scrambling to make the day and don't get to come in with as much of kind of a vision of what it'll sound like. But occasionally you run into filmmakers, artists, and especially ones who have made a lot of things. In fact, somebody that people might not think of is J.J. Abrams. Like the way that he is with sound actually is extraordinary. He's obviously very specific with his, you know, with the types of lenses that he uses and his shots and things. I don't think he's made a movie for a little while now. But he's the one actually that made that lost theme, the sound between, you know, when it would go to commercials. And he's somebody that's always been really obsessed with sound. And there's a moment at the beginning of the Star Trek reboot where, spoiler alert, Captain Kirk's father, like, dies. And and uh, the I'm forgetting the name of the starship. Oh, no, I'm not much of a Star Trek fan. But anyway, the <laughs> I can't Star- help the, you with that. <laughs> the Enterprise, the Enterprise. It explodes and the shot goes out into outer space. And you're watching an explosion where we're so used to hearing those explosive sounds. But because it's in outer space, it's silent because there wouldn't be sound in space. And I, it's just a real moment that I noticed of like, oh, wow, what a good idea. It like makes you care more about that, you know, about that moment because you're in that perspective. Um so I think that some, some filmmakers, especially with sequences, you know, they'll have a sequence where somebody's accidentally, you know, taken a drug or something like that, and you're showing it through their point of view. And so you know the types of sounds you want. And definitely on set, it helps to get as much of that stuff as you can. Uh, one other, I don't know how many young filmmakers might be listening, but one other really good tip is that If there's a sound problem, which happens all the time, there's planes, there's dogs barking, there's some kind of an issue, find a quiet place with your actors, but right now. It can be in their trailer, it can be in a car, right now. Go record it. Because if you record, if you do ADR six, eight months, a year later, the actors, it's not going to be in their body, it's not going to fit in their mouths. But if you record it, you know, a few minutes later, actually, I've done that quite a few times. It basically always works. The rhythm's still there. The performance is still there, even if the room sound is different. That's a fantastic tip that I would not have considered. So I like it. 
Again, I'm not making that many movies, but I know I know some of yeah. our listeners are. They're doing good stuff out there. And yeah, they are. Specifically with Audio Design Desk, one of the things that that struck me is a how easy it is, which I think I think that's the goal of a lot of um, you know, a lot of technologies to make our lives easier, but I think sometimes it overtly complicates things. And I like that like right on the main page you're like, "Hey, try it. <laughs> like see how simple this is." So is that is that I assume that's something that you kind of always wanted to to have is like how easy this can be but was that sort of a learning process over these past six and a half and seven years of like oh actually this is making things more complicated or has it always kind of been like no this is solving problems like right now it's the, one of the challenges with software development and we could get into a big therapy session about this <laughs> uh, but one of the challenges is on the one hand, you want to give your users lots of flexibility, lots of options. But the more flexibility you give them by the nature of how you have to serve up their flexibility, it makes the product more complicated. So you're always finding this balance between where do I hide that button? What choices are we going to make as developers that we aren't, we're going to make that choice for you. Like you don't need to know about that. But so that's, that's sort of a a constant challenge for us because we do want to make it easy. And I think that one of the things I'll I'll give you a, a study that was done. I think this was 2016. Um, two audiences are shown the same movie. In one uh, audience, the visuals go out for the movie. And then the other audience, the sound goes out. When the sound went out and the visuals stay, it took people about 30 seconds before they got up, left the theater, and said something's wrong. When the sound stayed, but the visual went out, people sat there for six minutes. So I think it gives you a sense of the power and the importance of sound but and yet, as filmmakers, we spend ninety five percent. I mean, there's a joke on set where we say waiting on sound because you're never waiting on sound. I mean, you're very rarely waiting on sound. It's such an unfair joke. Uh, but there is a tendency to spend all of your effort towards the visuals, and of course, that comes from silent film when you'd be, you know, or or you know, tons of movies in the seventies where they would shoot the visuals and get all of the dialogue and all of the sound later. So you can do these things separately, but the truth is that the sound with a movie without good sound will not be immersive. It won't work. It'll feel um, like I said, like student filmy. Yeah. I think, I think I got my introduction to that concept as a student um, playing in our high school band. We somehow got a trip out to California and, I think we, I don't even remember what we were playing in. It was some sort of like award thing, but we only had to do that for like an hour. And then we were there in, in Southern California for like four days. And one of the the things that our um, band teacher had set up was this like playing Disney movies where they would like take out the sound and then we'd come in and play. Um, and it was like, hey, you're making the music of this. And we'd listen to everything with no sound. And I'm just like, this is so weird like it's amazing and then they'd be they'd be like okay play something terrible now like play incorrectly not the music in front of you and then they'd show that and how it impacted the scene as well and i was just like this is insane like it's so it it is wild like how much it impacts a scene and i think like you've you've been touching on this throughout like it it's kind of subconscious to us almost like you're not realizing it like while it's happening all the time but if it's gone you're just like no 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 this is wrong 
Totally. As a kid, I used to, I liked scary movies when I turned about 10, 11. I started watching them on VHS. Uh, and I, but I never closed my eyes. I always just intuitively plugged my ears. And it's true. It's not scary <laughs> if you can't hear it. Uh, I mean, maybe to some people it would be, but it's pretty campy, most of those, especially those movies in the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, you can see the yeah, zippers on their uh, on their costumes. <laughs> exactly. And you see the squibs and you see how everything's fake, but you sort of don't see. It's true. Like it actually changes the feeling of what you see, the sound. Um, it's also a really great exercise. Again, I know we're not like now talking to filmmakers, but but to watch just to, to see the visuals, to see because when the sound is in, it's almost hard to analyze what's being shot. But when you take the sound out, you can really see, oh, this is that setup. This is the next setup. This is how the filmmaker constructed the visuals. Um, That's another fun exercise. I feel like you've been dropping tips throughout this episode, but are there pieces of advice for getting better quality audio, whether it's podcasters like us, musicians, video content creators, like everyone who's creating something is probably going to need some type of sound. So how can they get consistent, better quality audio? Well, so I think that there's the sort of old cool, old school advice that I would uh, give, and then there's newer school. So old school is you definitely everybody should be laved if they can be laved, meaning like a, a personal mic that's on them. But the real sound is going to come from your boom. So when you're shooting, especially when you're shooting your wide shot, you're probably not going to use much sound from that because you can't really get one character or the other. You're going to end up getting most of your sound from the close-ups. Uh, and the, basically you use the law of as backup. Um, there's just something magical about having a really good microphone that's about three, four feet away from you. You can feel enough of the room to make it feel real, but it's not like a microphone that's on your body where you can like feel the presence of the person's chest inside the sound. Uh, so that would be one thing. In terms of the the newer school, I mean, we're already i mean uh, you know descript being an example but adobe's uh podcast tool i'm forgetting what it's called but it's free and it's incredible uh all of these technologies are there to take things that sound bad and make them sound good uh and so that is a that's a wonderful thing whether it's taking old recordings and suddenly you know kind of up them or especially with voices, we're getting very, very good at up voices and making them sound good. So, hallelujah. <laughs> on, on, well, two things, I guess. Is that uh, Adobe Audition? Is that the... It's not Audition. They okay. have a... It may now be in Audition. They have... Oh, dang it. I'm forgetting. <laughs> they have like a podcast. It's like a website offshoot from Adobe. And they did it... Adobe does a bunch of really cool stuff. They have a, a like a... I don't want to call it a foundation. They have like an incubator where young creatives can come. They bring them an idea or it's either an idea or something that they've been developing and Adobe will give you money. And then sometimes they give you a bunch of money and then they make it into a product. And this is one of those. It was like an idea somebody had about why aren't we podcasting online? Why are people doing it in Pro Tools and all these complicated things? You should be able to go online like you and I are right now and just make your podcast. But they said, well, one of the problems is a lot of these mics built into your computers and things like built into the cameras, they aren't very good. So the first thing they decided to fix was the sound of voices. 
And so it's very similar to the descript, you know, sort of up-res studio quality button that's pressed. Uh, it's just another take on that. You've talked about how AI can, uh, like, up, up-level these voices and, and make them sound better. Of course, there's also the fun development lately of people using AI for nefarious reasons. Yeah. How do we avoid that? Or can we? That's a loaded question, right? <laughs> I mean, I so like one in the world of sound, which is happens to be at this moment one of the more dangerous ways that people are using AI is somebody could take my son's voice. They could take a recording of my son's voice that's five seconds long, and they could have him say to me over the phone anything, like an AI voice, anything. I would believe it's him because it sounds just like him. How do we avoid it? For that particular, yeah, I don't know if you've read about this, but this has happened many, many times. Daddy, I've been kidnapped, and then they get you know twenty thousand dollars from, and, and there's been no one kidnapped. He's at camp or whatever. Um, the way to get around it is to make a a, a, a word. You know, you make a a code word with your with your family. I mean, it's horrible that we have to do that, but it's a real simple solution to this upcoming problem. I mean, the things that get me anxious is you know the. The, and we were just talking about, so um, I'm sure this will be broadcast in a, in a few weeks, but today Sam Altman got fired from from uh, OpenAI, and we'll all find out what happened in the coming you know days and weeks. Uh, but since it's the board that fired him, it does make me feel like Sam's narrative for so long, I mean, he was the one that authored that, that, uh, that bill, or not bill, that piece of paper that all of the people who are in AI signed saying, this is dangerous. This is like nuclear weapons. Government, come take control of this. Like, we can't handle it. And it worries me that somebody whose um, approach has been so geared towards safety um, that all of a sudden, I don't know what's happening with the board, but it just makes me feel like the board's like, we want to make more money faster. And he's going, well, this is dangerous. Um, I don't know. We are going to get to a point where the protection from AI is going to have to be some other AI thing. And so it's going to constantly be this back and forth. It's not tomorrow and it's not the Terminator that's going to ultimately we will get to the Terminator, but it's going to be things like I pay enough attention to you that I can just pick up what your passwords are and I can get into your bank accounts. Uh, Those kinds of things are the things that will come well before we see whatever the name of the Terminator was. <laughs> yeah. What's the, I don't know. Too many, too many letters <laughs> and numbers together. Arnold. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just Arnold. <laughs> just Arnold. Okay, I have a couple music questions for you from your, yes. your playing uh, and touring and all that. I saw that one of the folks that you've toured with is Ry Cooter. Is that correct? <laughs> Number one, I didn't tour with Rai, okay. but I played. I played many times with Rai. I did a recording with him for a tribute album to a guy named Lowell George, who started a band called Little Feet, which was a really terrific band in the seventies. Uh, and so I, I, I played with Rai for a while. Okay, so this is a this is a question I'm asking on behalf of my dad because I think he'd want me to ask this. I remember I, this must have been like ten or twelve years ago, probably he. Uh, he and I were flying on an airplane together. We were going a family vacation somewhere, and he like tapped me on the shoulder while I was watching a movie. And he's like, "I've heard maybe the catchiest song I've ever heard, and it was Get Rhythm' by Ry Cooter, which I know is not even an original of him. But he listened to that whole album. It was just on like the airplane uh, music, you know, radio 
they had or whatever, but it had like a full Rykuter album. And he was just like, you have to listen to this. So then I started listening and I was like, this is very good. This is very good. So my question is just, do you have a good Rykuter story? Well, a couple stories that come to mind about Rye are we were we were kids like I was in my post high school but pre graduating college band and we had gotten signed to Geffen Records and we were playing around and Rye's son who's a terrific uh, rhythmicist he's in the movie uh, um, oh gosh what's the movie where they go to Cuba and I'll remember in just a second it's such a terrific documentary. Um, and the movie is the name of the band. Oh, well, it's escaping me. But um, a- anyway, so his it, we knew his, his son went to high school with us and was a few grades below us and was also playing. And so that's kind of, I think, how we got introduced to that scene and to Rye. And so what, what started to happen is um, Joaquim's band would open for us and Rye would pay, play with the band. And so then we became kind of these friend bands that were playing together. Um and but Rye was probably forty five or fifty or something like that, and we were like twenty. And he would do these things before the shows where he would go backstage. Now, what we were used to doing is like, you know, everybody's feeling nervous because you're about to get up on stage and, you know, there's got stage fright and all that stuff. And we sort of didn't know what to do with that energy. So we would have like a group meeting and we'd put our hands in the middle and we'd kind of get pumped to get up on stage. But what Rye would do is he would have us sit in a circle. He'd basically have us do yoga, like a little meditation, sometimes with an ohm. But it was instead of like getting pumped up, it was like, let's get let's get um, grounded. Let's get uh, 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 find a way to kind of calm ourselves before we and bring that energy out to stage. So that's one example of a of a story that I I remember about him. That's very lovely. I like that. I I play uh, I probably fewer shows than I used to, but that's I've never tried that before. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Calm the energy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is how I can finally get into yoga. I feel like I've tried it so many times and I just tip over a lot. So maybe and you can say it's thanks to Rye. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He'll get credit in the next liner notes. That's <laughs> <laughs> the, the band's yoga instructor. <laughs> I love it. And I always ask any musician this who comes on this show, but what's your worst gig? Oh my God. Okay. So yes, I got a worst gig. Uh, I mean, actually there was, there's a lot of them. Um, there was one gig where there was a horrible electrocution that happened and our singer like just couldn't do the, and it was at a big gig too. It was at the palace in Los Angeles, like thousand, fifteen hundred people, something like that. Uh, but the worst gig was we, <laughs> so I was in this band, same band that I was mentioning before, just out of high school. Um, we're on Geffen records, we're touring. And I think that this was actually our first gig of this particular tour. That band was like kind of a, a rock and roll, like light female singer. You know, it wasn't like an aggressive type of music we were playing. And somehow we had been set up with a band called UFO to opening for UFO. Now, UFO was a famous band in the 70s. They were on some reunion tour. These guys are in their like 60s wearing spandex, literally wearing wigs. Like I was like, oh my God, like this, that's what's happening behind the scenes. Um, but in this first get, we didn't really know what UFO's music was like. And so we get up and we're opening for them. So we're playing our standard kind of touchy feely, like cool jazzy music set. And the audience hates it. And they start chanting UFO, UFO. Yeah, I mean, they're chanting us off the stage. 
And I look over the guitar player and somehow we both intuitively were feeling the same thing. And we look back to our drummer and he's thinking the same thing too. So he starts playing with them. UFO, UFO, UFO. <laughs> and we just started jamming with them. And that's how we kind of won over the audience. Uh, so I guess it ended up being a, a fine story. But that moment was like, oh, God, they're pulling the cane out and they're grabbing us by the necks. <laughs> that's an amazing recovery, though. I love that. <laughs> True story. And I'm sure UFO loved it, too. Right. They're getting. I don't I think they were pretty. Um, it, I mean, those guys, it was it was so funny. They hated each other. And again, I didn't know this band, but there was like all this. It was literally like Spinal Tap. Right. It's this amazing English band. The guitar player, uh, something Shankar, Michael Shankar, uh, you know, ripping guitar solos. But he hated them so much that he would only he didn't come to soundcheck. He would only see them on stage. And when he got off stage, he would go right to his trailer. He had his own truck, his own trailer. I mean, they were totally separate. Well, it's just a crazy, crazy pocket of time. That's incredible. I hope their drummers had better uh, success than the Spinal Tap drummers. <laughs> the Spinal Tap drummers. <laughs> I feel like, uh, yes, no one imploded. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All you yeah. can hope for, really. <laughs> a question I always like to ask as well is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And... You say people like to talk about the what and the how and the who, but nobody asks why, which is the yeah. most important question. So why? Why? Why indeed? Um, well, I think with a lot of things that we do in life, and certainly, you know, we're here talking about work and stuff, um, but why make Audio Design Desk? We also have made all of these other products. We have something called SoundGen, which is a very exciting. So we have another thing called Talk2, which is like AI tutors and companions. Um, for me, I had this experience when I was really young um, where I, uh, I things got better for me in middle school and high school. But in elementary school, I had a really hard time. And I felt isolated and kind of alone. And the way I didn't know to call it anything at the time, but the way that I would uh, calm those feelings of, of being isolated is to go find a place and I would sing. And it didn't occur to me that I could be a musician. I didn't even really know that people did that. I thought music was just a magical thing that happened, you, you know, from God or something. You know, <laughs> here I am like at seven years old singing. But that feeling that it gave me, the way that it could turn my bad feeling into something that was manageable was a bit magical. And then as I started to grow up and I started to realize I could become a musician and get into that flow state, right, which we all experience through something, the magic of that flow state, the magic of feeling of creativity is something that I wanted to be able to offer other people. And so many years ago, a dozen years ago, I started a screenwriting program for kids who are facing life in prison. And you see these kids, they're literally on trial for their lives. And we did a documentary in this particular documentary. I think one of the kids got 240 years, another kid got 160 years, but they come into this room and they're writing. And suddenly all of those troubles, all of those worries, like that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on this creative outlet and this project that they're part of. An uh, uh, organization called RAND that does a lot of kind of polling data and things like that, they did a study. And 87% uh, fewer kids who go through these kinds of creative programs recidivate. 
right? 87% fewer kids go back to prison if they've had this kind of creative experience, that creative outlet. And I think that the why speaks to the power of creativity, like what it means to be, it's part of what it means to be human. It allows us to expel of uh, uh, things that feel bad and to pull in and express things that feel good. And in the, in the case of music, when you can do that with other people, it's like true magic in a world that feels so non-magical sometimes. Uh, so that's a big piece of, of the why I want to be able to democratize that space, that creative space with all of our products. Um, because most people don't have a year to learn how to play guitar and, you know, 500 bucks, like if we can give them a tool that's either really inexpensive or free and give them that experience of of expressing themselves through an artistic outlet, there's like real value in that beyond it being a business, beyond it being some other thing. So that's why. I love it. I love it. And this probably segues nicely into our top three here, which is your top three personal inventions. Okay. So the first invention that I remember... I was nine or 10 years old and I was at my grandmother's house. It was always very fancy over there. It was like back in the days when grandmas had hair that looked like grandmas. I feel like grandmas are hip. Now grandmas are like super cute. Uh, But um, so we'd be at grandma's house and she would always have like butter that came right out of the fridge. And I remember everybody was struggling and it was like on a little porcelain plate. And everyone's struggling to cut through that butter so that they can get it much less than getting the butter onto your bread and spreading it around. So I was like, you know what we need? We need a hot but we need a butter knife that's got a battery in it that'll heat up and can cut through this butter thing. That'll solve the problem. Well, I didn't end up making that, but that was my first invention. Uh, years later, <laughs> I made a product called Finders Beepers. Don't be a loser. Be a finder with finders beepers (laughs) and the premise is basically what apple what are those tags called like you know how they have those tags you put on your luggage so i had this concept you know 15 years before that in fact a friend of mine and i put this whole deck together and we went and tried to raise some money for it we went up and we met with somebody and 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 uh some technical person to try to make the prototype of it and the guy i'll never forget the guy was like there's this brand new technology most people haven't heard of it like we could use this thing called bluetooth (laughs) and it was like a baby technology at the time now of course is in every device ever um so that was the, that was one of my another invention that we got close to putting out there, uh, and of course we had the tagline of "Don't be a loser, be a finder." It's very um, <laughs> obviously. There's Audio Design Desk, which makes soundscapes easy. Uh, the products that we're working on right now, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll I guess I have to pick one since we said three. <laughs> you so, can go beyond. We've we've had people go over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. So we have a product called Talk2. It's an app. It's also soon to be a web app that you can go to the website and use it too. Um, And it's sort of similar to character AI, if you've ever gone there, where you can go into this space and you can talk to AI experts or talk to, you know, companions or life coaches or math experts, or, or you can also make any character you want. So the real purpose is so that kids... In my son's case, he made a character, he's six, his character that he loves to talk to the most is called Fart Monster. 
and he's fart monster super cute and he tells stories where he takes you to fartopia and he you know there's different magical everybody's got a different kind like care bears each have a different skill in fartopia each fart has a different like magical ability or something but again the ai made all this up i didn't make it up but the key to our product is that it, when you make that character you make yoda or darth vader or spider-man or you know iron man or tony stark or whoever you can instantly turn them any character into a personalized tutor so for us and we've been seeing this you know as we've been testing it and doing doing beta programs and things uh, seeing that kids love these characters, they love the idea. I can talk to Tony Stark. Oh my God. Like, and so you actually feel like you're having a conversation with that character, but then to be able to learn from Tony Stark and have him stay as Tony Stark. So everything you ask him, I'm learning the foil method of in algebra or whatever. Tony will make it relevant to the Avengers. He'll make it relevant to Tony to explain it to you in a way that the character that you care about would know and understand and express. And so I think educating through entertainment is one of many things that are going to be on the rise here. Uh, but that's another invention of mine. And, I, and it's something that we've had a lot of fun building and seeing people use. I, see, these are the AI I, inventions that I like hearing about. Not the nefarious ones, not ones that are going to take over the world, ones that are going to educate and make things better and if people want to check either talk to or anything that you've got going on where can they find you they can email me uh at gabe at add.app um i'm also on linkedin although i'm not i'm not a very good social media prep person i probably should be better have you used I the wanted... I, I forget the name of it but there's a tool where you can put in like the type of tone you want your linkedin post to have and then they'll They'll craft it for you and it was like he made it as like a tongue-in-cheek over all the people putting like these long narratives um but i don't know i think i did a post on that once or twice i think for me i don't know i spend so much time with schematics and architecting and like working that like somehow going to i did social media i don't know it just right now it's not at the top of my list but in any event uh we are maker.ai we are also add.app, um, and you can reach us and find out more about us at those locations. Fantastic! Well, Gabe, this was so much fun. I had a blast. I I think I'm. I need to go check out like everything you're doing now. <laughs> awesome! Please do. Let me know what you think. Will do. Will do. And in the meantime, we've got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. How do you make a bandstand? How take away their chairs? Get after it today, people. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Ooh.